Welcome to Roll Call, a 126th Air Refueling Wing podcast of the Illinois Air National Guard at Scott Air Force Base. I'm your host, Technical Sergeant Brian Ellison. The Roll Call podcast focused on people, mission, and community. I want to say hello to our deployers. Coming up, our first guest from the 108th Air Refueling Wing Squadron, the Chief Boomer, Chief Master Sergeant Ari Latimer. Coming up this month is the Boom Selection Board for current military members and civilians. Boom Operator, that's an in-flight refueling specialist. Selection Board is for Drill Status Guardsmen. The board is tentatively scheduled for February 20th at 09. Applications are due by close of business next Wednesday. That's February 17th. Applications need to have a cover letter. A resume must include three references, three letters of recommendation, which may come from your references, a minimum ASVAB score of 55 in the general category. See recruiting uh, Facebook for more information on the board and what else you need or call the recruiting office at 618-222-5701. What I just listed is not everything that you need. So make sure you go to... uh, Recruiting's Facebook page or uh, call the recruiting office at 618-222-5701. It is cold outside. My Fiat's transmission did not want to work this morning. It, it took like 30 minutes for the transmission to work. The transmission. I was worried about my car starting. Started, no problems. But I get in and try to put it into gear to take my uh, daughter to, to, to school this morning. And it, it just, it wouldn't go. It stayed, I don't know, it, it would go through, but it would say manual transmission not working or something like that. 30 minutes after uh, letting the car warm up and moving it, uh, the gears a few times, it finally uh, connected. But it, it, I was a little worried there for a minute. In the case of inclement weather, which you never know we might have over the next two weeks, you can call the Scott Air Force Base Information Hotline. That is 618-256-7232. Or check the Scott Air Force Base Facebook page or the 126th Air Refueling Wing Facebook page. Hi, my name's... Senior Airman Gregory Goder, I'm uh, part of the 126th Comptroller Flight, and uh, I'm a financial manager here. My day-to-day job um, would be, I'm an accounting technician basically, so I'm in charge of all the squadron's uh, purchases, and I make sure they uh, hit the books correctly. What I like most about being in the 126 is I'm an AGR out here, so I work out here full-time. Um, with that, I get a bunch of opportunities. Um, traveling is probably my favorite opportunity. Um, I've been to a bunch of cool places like um, Washington State, which was the first time I've ever been there. Um, I also play on the base softball team, um, so I get to travel with them quite a bit as well. I joined the Air National Guard because after college, um, I had a couple jobs I didn't really like, and I wanted to have an impactful career and make a difference on my community. I chose the 126 um, because I could pretty much stay around all my friends and family, and still be part of the Air National Guard. I joined the Comptroller flight um, because my bachelor's in business management um, and it kind of just fell hand in hand with uh, working with finances. But one huge benefit I've been taking advantage of is uh, my full-time employment as an AGR. Um, as an AGR I get um, active duty pay, benefits, and everything that goes along with being active duty. But 
I get to stay home. Hi, we are the 126 recruiting team. I'm Master Sergeant Heather Wildey, recruiting flight chief. I'm Technical Sergeant Richard Olson, production recruiter. To learn more about career training with the 126, give us a call at 618-222-5701. But, but wait, wait, there's, there's more. more. Give us a call in the next five minutes and you could qualify for four years of free college tuition. Joining us in the studio from the 108th Air Refueling Squadron in flight Refueling Program Manager, Chief Master Sergeant, Ari Latimer, mm -hmm. the Chief Boom. Welcome to the podcast. You're the first member from the 108th to come in on the podcast. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, sir. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. We have uh, coming up, so you are the, the Chief Boom, and uh, we have coming up the Boom uh, Board, which you kind of head up. Correct. So basically, uh, on uh, drill weekend, February, I believe it's the 20th. Yes, sir. Uh, so we'll have a boom selection board. So I, uh, I'm in the process of receiving a uh, applicants, uh, right. their resumes and stuff, a packet. So we'll we'll get those and we'll um, we'll vet those through a process. And the boom board will uh, right. by interviews and stuff, and then they'll make uh, the best selections based off merit and a person's history and you know, positions what that we have to fill on the manning dock. So, you know, there's there's a number of things that we look at when we when we select boom operators. Yeah, I noticed uh, the applications, uh, I've, I've got this right here, uh, letters of recommendation, Correct. ASVAB, mm -hmm. right. things like that, of uh, your general score 55. Correct. With, if, you bring, if you turn all these things in, mm -hmm. um, does this mean that... You, 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 does this mean you automatically are going to be go in front of the board or you're looking for other things too? Right. Uh, so a packet is just a part of the process. Okay. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean you're, you will be given an opportunity to, to present yourself. Right. But this doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a selection. Okay. Right. Um, so what's that board process like? What, when you say go in front of a board, does that mean I put my, I mean, not me personally, but someone mm -hmm. puts their blues on, right. answers so questions. Right, so the board will be uh, comprised of OIC, which okay. is normally a field grade or higher. Okay. And then I try to put on there uh, a senior NCO and people who are going to be in the unit and working with these people in the foreseeable future. So, so kind of like a master sergeant, tech sergeant, sure. you know, somebody that's going to be around for a while. So why not put somebody on the board and make selections about people that you're going to be working with in the future? Right. So, um, you know, I don't feel that although I am um, – more than willing to do the boards. I'm kind of trying to take myself out of the process and allow people to make decisions that are going to affect their future and the people that they work with. So, and, and once they go through the process, the, um, the board process for each applicant will come in. They will, they will, first of all, they will review the packets mm -hmm. uh, for each applicant before they come in. And then when they come in, then they'll, they'll go through the interview process of, you know, uh, uniform of the day. Uh, oh, okay. Just basically saying, you know, to loosen them up, tell us about yourself, you know, normal boardisms. Right. Uh, and then we'll go into like a formatted uh, amount of questions that we would ask each applicant just to make sure we get the same uh, question. And, you know, we'll get various responses depending on your background and what you do. So uh, and then once that takes place and the board is satisfied with the questions and uh, that they are going to ask, they ask the applicant to leave and they will kind of formulate their opinions and uh, give a yay or a nay. Um, and then they'll bring the applicant back in and we'll, we'll let them know that we'll be sending out a letter uh, as to whether you've been selected or not. Oh, okay. Um, 
What's that? I mean, what do you guys, is there anything particular uh, that you're looking for in a board applicant? Well, uh, ideally, we would like people who are um, flying centric minded. Sure. Um, understand, you know, aerodynamics and stuff of that nature. Uh, if you're good with aircraft, you know, okay. mechanics, aircraft mechanics, you know, uh, the maintenance personnel, crew chiefs, they're ideal for um, being boom operators because they understand all of their, the various systems that, that are on the jet that we have to learn when we go to school. Well, they already know them. Oh. You know, like hydraulics or electronics or pneumatics. You know, they already understand all of those systems. Oh. So, so it's just a matter of them learning our uh, particularities in the flying world because the systems, they already know. So now they have to learn how to do weight and balance, which is basically uh, a numbers crunch where we kind of balance the the, the jet, you know, you have a particular space on the aircraft that you have to be able to uh, balance what we call CG, a center mm -hmm. of gravity. You have to be able to balance that uh, aircraft depending on um, the numbers game you play, depending on how much fuel, how the basic weight of the aircraft, how much baggage we may have, uh, how many passengers we may have. So we, we calculate all of that stuff and it spits out a number. That number will let us know exactly where the fulcrum is in the jet. So we're trying to do a balancing act with all of this this stuff that's on the jet. Wow. I thought yeah. it was like a video game for you guys. No, I wish. You were up there with a joystick and you were like, nee, nee, nee. Right. oh, wish. gotcha. Yeah, and that's part of learning, you know, stuff like that. Like a crew chief will know the systems, but they would have to go learn that, you know, stuff like that in school or, you know, air refueling or uh, or in particular, we have uh, our different AFIs that we have to learn. Sure. Um, in general knowledge stuff so yeah what so wow i did not know that that was yeah. i don't know i it sounds like something an officer would do it almost i mean to me it almost sounds like that well it's, it's not as hard as it sounds um uh, you know once you go through the process and you learn and we we, we teach you the or you taught the formulas in school you know it's it's, it's pretty simple it's, it's not that complicated so what all uh, you, you mentioned it a little bit, but what's what all duties do uh, boomers do? Uh, okay. Well, when uh, well, we'll start maybe just while they're flying. Okay. So our primary job is to do air refueling. Okay. So that's our primary job. So we are there to kind of like a glorified uh, gas station attendant in the sky, <laughs> if that's how you <laughs> want to look at it. So so air refueling is our primary mission. Uh, in addition to that, we also do cargo hauls. So we do a lot of cargo runs mm -hmm. uh, or load masters, as uh, most people will be able to identify with. Uh, we also are passenger hauls, so we do passenger hauls. So if you want to take, uh, like, med group from sure. here to Kadena, well, we do. We load their jet up with their, like, their luggage and their equipment uh, and their personnel, and we basically carry them from point A to point B. So uh, passenger hauls. Wow. So, mm -hmm. Okay. When you're f when you, And then on the ground is when you do all that math stuff correct yes that's all kind of pre-planned you have an initial uh once we do what we call mission uh we do our mission brief mm -hmm. so it's a briefing before you actually go fly so every air crew member uh, or crew should be doing a, a pre-brief before they go fly so you get together you basically it's basically uh, a guide that amc puts out and you have to go through different types of uh scenarios or categories or emergency procedures mm -hmm. uh, you know we have to brief different data if you're going to refuel a c-17 versus a c-5 or f-16 so there's different data that we have to look at and we have to brief every time we go fly so it's basically an overall plan about what we're going to do as a crew and how we're going to execute 
You said you talked about aerodynamics. Where, where does that fit into? So when the uh, on the boom itself, you have rotivators. Yeah. Uh, and so those rotivators basically control the boom depending on we have a, what we call a control stick. Uh, sure. So that basically uh, controls the movement of the boom and the rotivators, they shift depending on the angle of the boom that we uh, maneuver. And uh, so those are some of the aerodynamics. And you can actually slow the jet down or you can speed the jet up. So um, depending on the angle that you have the, the boom at. Wow. Those rotivators are that powerful right. that they can. Because they don't look yes. very big. Right. Yeah. They, they can. It, 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 it can slow the jet down just by a little bit, maybe by one or two knots. But mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not anything significant. But it can, to, uh, it can slow it down just a tad bit. Uh, and also when the receivers, depending on the type of receiver it is, like if it's a heavy aircraft, like a C5, C17. We have what we call a bow wave. So you, as the receiver gets closer, they're pushing air towards you. So the rotivators oh. and the boom, they're going to float up, and eventually it'll neutralize itself out. And, uh, and then you can eventually uh, affect the contact into the receptacle that they have. Wow. Yeah. Boss and I were, my boss and I were talking about this the other day. Do, can you refuel C, uh, C-130s? See, yes, correct. Yes. You can refuel those, those are the Hertz. Yes. Oh. So you have the MCs and the ACs, uh, uh, but basically uh, the receptacles at the top of the aircraft, and uh, and there's different data that we research or we brief before we go do a C-130. Oh, okay. Um, it's at a slower speed. Uh, a lot of them, I believe, are at a lower altitude. Okay. Um, so, but yes, we do C-130s as well. Uh, we used to do um, well when I was in in another unit. Uh, we would go down to Herbert Field. And we would do like a lot of C-130s at night. And we would do what we call toboggan. So that's where you're connected in flight, but you're descending at the same time that you're air refueling and connected to oh, a lower altitude. Wow. Right. That's <laughs> cool. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm sure. <laughs> it's cool. Yeah, it sounds like a, a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, if, you know, if somebody makes it through the boomer board, mm -hmm. Uh, the training, it looks okay. like there's a lot of training involved right. in that. Correct. So um, once you go, once I receive the packets uh, from different applicants and you go through the board and if you are lucky enough to get selected, uh, then there's a medical process that you have to go through. Uh, once you go through the medical process, then we get your school dates. So initially, um, you would go through what we call BBOC. That's Basic Boom Operators Course. Okay. That's basically about two weeks where you just kind of learn. I'm sorry, not BBOC. Aircrew Fundamentals. Aircrew Fundamentals is the first thing that you go through. Okay. That's just basically learning about flying. So oh, that's, okay. that's about a two-week process. Right. And then after that, then you go to BBOC, Basic Boom Operators Course. And then that's where you're going to learn about your specific airframe that you're going to be going to. Because we have different airframe, uh, air refueling um, Fleets in the inventory. So we have the 135, you mm -hmm. have the KC-10, and you have the KC-46. Oh. So uh, depending on your specific uh, frame, airframe, you will go and learn those specific specific um, things about that particular aircraft and everything. So BBLC, Basic Boom Operators Course. So you would go through that for a couple of weeks, and then after that, then you would go through uh, your, what we call BIQ, Basic Initial Qualification. Uh, and that's basically where you go to Altus for two months and you kind of reinforce those academics of what you learn in BBOC. Okay. Uh, and, and you get a little bit more in depth into stuff and then you do simulators. Uh, and that's, that's becoming a big thing in the military simulators uh, and training on those. Uh, and then once you do the simulators, then you go to the flight line and you get a couple of flights in. And then after you get a couple of flights in, you do a check ride. Oh, okay. that's basically an evaluation right. to say that, okay, let's, let's fortify everything that you've learned. And so you're going to have an evaluator to fly with you, and he's going to critique you on everything you've learned. Wow. So, and then once that's done, 
then you could potentially come back to home station or you may go to survival school, uh, Sears school at Fairchild. And that's about, well, it used to be three weeks. I think it is roughly 10, 12-ish days now. Mm -hmm. So you do a water part and you'll do a land part. So, um, and then once you're done with that, then you will come back to your home station and you would get, uh, right now, I think we have currently 40 seasoning days or mess days, what they call them. Mission oh, nice. Essential, mission essential skills training days. So you'll get 140 days to uh, uh, learn our nuclear mission, uh, to, to, to finish any ground training uh, that you might have to do, like chem, ground chem. Mm -hmm. uh, you might have to do weapon squall, uh, you know, CBT, stuff like that. Sure. Uh, and then once that's done, you all, you sum it all up. And you do a briefing before the wing commanders on our nuclear piece uh, to make sure that you understand. So you have conventional, which is just regular airfield, and you have nuclear, which is a whole other type of mission set. So once you brief the commanders on the nuclear mission and that you understand that and what we're doing with that, then you become what we call MCT, Mission Certified Trained. So now you're complete. We're going to sign you off to say that you are a certified boom operator and you're good to go for air refueling. We, we trust that, you're, that you've learned your training and, and we've validated your training. So that's basically kind of the whole process. And that whole process takes about nine months in total. I mean, so, heck, if you're looking for a, a, a job maybe for, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, it's a great job, but... You better be prepared, I guess, to Correct. give away yes. nine months of your time. To right, nine months of your time. And then uh, in addition to that, and then once we do get certified and, and signed off and you're, um, you know, whether it's a pilot or a boom, uh, once you're trained up uh, and you're on your own, uh, well, I guess I shouldn't say on your own because <laughs> we always work as crews. Sure. But we're just saying individually we understand that you, that you know what you're doing. Right. So, and then once that's done, then it's basically um, – Make your money, man, whether it's going TDYs, you know, whether we – like now we have Poland. That's a big thing that we're doing. That's our sister unit. So we're mm -hmm. going over there to support Poland and their flying operations. Um, different types of TDYs. We have coronets where we do maybe a fighter drag to, to, to Kadena, or we might go eastbound to, to Marone. You know, we do fighter drag. Those are called coronets. Um, or we may do a business effort. A business effort is a type of TDY where you may go somewhere for a week. You're contracted to go somewhere for a week, and uh, we might go to Dias Air Force Base for a week and refuel B ones. Oh, nice! So you know to get them, you know, get training out of them or get their training spun up. Um, so, uh, and then we just have our local sorties that we go out and we um, that we pre plan with different units around the the local area. Or right. We try to do it mostly in the Midwest area, but you know we we go outside our. That range just a little bit sometimes. Sometimes we might fly as far uh, west as uh, New Mexico, you know, to refuel some F-22s out of Holloman Air Force Base. So, wow. Um, so we, we, norm we normally try to stay uh, around the, the Midwest area and try to plan the sorties anywhere from two to four hours-ish. Okay. You know? So, uh, but yeah. Are you still, do you still get up there and refuel? Yeah, I try to do it um, as much as I can. Um, being a chief, uh, my, my my focus and my job has shifted a little bit. So I don't get to go out and fly as much as I used to. Right. Uh, I'm more so into the role of mentoring and being a facilitator. I'm the RA as well, the resource advisor. So I deal with a lot of money and budget stuff. Uh, and just trying to uh, put different people in leadership positions to try to get the best potential, get, get, their, get out of them the best potential that I can for the unit, for the sake of the unit. You were talking about simulators earlier. Mm -hmm. yeah. How uh, does that? Help, does that is how, what's that? 
the advantage of that and it, do you see advantages in yes, simulators? Absolutely. So basically with simulators, so we have two types of one two types of sims that we use uh, as boom operators. Uh, on the guard units you have what we call uh, a boss uh, boom operator simulator system. Okay. And on the active duty units like here, Fairchild, uh, I believe McConnell, not McConnell, but um uh, McDill okay. at March Air Force Base. Um they have what we call a BAUST, a Boom Operator Weapons Systems Trainer, which we have one here over at the SIM building. Oh, that's nice. So basically what that does is, like, if you pull somebody straight off the street, you can go into a simulator and say, hey, this is what you're going to be doing. So you can put them in the boom pod, and you can let them see what an F-16 looks like, what a B-1 looks like, what a C-17 or a C-5, and this is what you're going to be doing. So we can go out there, and we can let them do air refueling, and we can instruct them on how to, you know, affect the contact, and they can see um, the dynamics of the boom and how we fly it around uh, and just uh, uh, the geographics of the landscape that we see while we're up in the air. So, um, so it's nice to be able to show somebody what you're going to be doing before you actually go and do it. And it's beneficial to the to the to the member as well because they get a, a basically a bigger picture and understanding of okay wow this is what I'm going to be doing this is cool and it's a good recruiting tool as well. <clears throat> yeah, I'm sure that would be uh, that would be a lot of fun yeah. to do. So simulators are definitely uh, you know and, and, it, and it fortifies our training as well. So you know for those of us who can't get up and go fly as much as we used to, okay, let's go over to the sim and you know we can do refueling day na- daytime nighttime you know and to uh, keep competitive proficiency on your training how often do you how yeah how do you um keep is there a a um an amount of time you have to fly or or you know be in the simulator mm-hmm. to keep your proficiency your proficiency so um proficiency is basically um so we have different uh flight levels we have like a b c d depending on how long you're flying uh there's time uh, timetables are associated with different flight levels, training levels, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, and based off of your, your, your experience level, um, that dictates and drive uh, training. Uh, it dictates and drive the amount of training that you have to do depending on what your experience level is. Okay. Like, so by me being a, a, a flight level A, my, I'm pretty much high at the top for experience level. So I don't, fly as much as somebody who, let's say, just came out of school and they're a C-level. Right. Or, so um, so depending on your uh, training level, it dictates and drives the amount of currency that you are supposed to do on a um, semester basis, which is every six months. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the nuclear mission. I don't know how much you can share about right. that. How mm-hmm. is that different from How is that different from when you're the doing day-to-day other, mission? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that is a, yeah, I'm sure <laughs> a, that's a, 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 a like a, a we, classified topic, but, uh, basically, um, air refueling at the end of the day, air refueling is what we do. Okay. It's just a different type of, um, air refueling is air refueling, just like driving a car is driving a car. Right. Um, but there's just other things that go along with it. Okay. You know, basically. No problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're the boom operator is for DSG people. Uh, that's, uh, the traditional guardsmen. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Drill status guardsman. Drill mm-hmm. status guardsman. Mm-hmm. What is their mission? How is their mission different uh, from uh, full timers? It's the same. Oh, it is. Yep, we all train to the same to the same level. Whether you're a pilot, boom. Um, when when I say we're trained like MCT mission certified certification training, uh, that means me as a full timer, I should have a DSG that can go out there and do the exact same job right. as I'm able to do. You know, uh, I may have a little bit more experience. 
at different things, but the mission itself, you should be able to complete the mission. So, I mean, they're, they're, pulling, they're pulling weekends like everybody else. Correct. So it's a little bit different for us as a DSG and being air crew. So you do have your traditional, you know, two weeks a year, uh, right. every weekend. Uh, but we get what we call an additional uh, AFTPs, uh, annual flight uh, training periods. So mm-hmm. basically you get an additional 72 of those. And that's just, just thinking of it as a way to come out and do extra drills. But okay. we just use them for flights or we can use them for ground. You can use them to do ground training, come out and do CBTs, or you can come out and do, um, you know, um, chem training, or you can come out and shoot the gun, or, you know, whatever ground training you might have. So basically okay. that's, that's what those are for. What do you like most about being a boomer? Uh, honestly, I like the camaraderie with the crews. Uh, and I love to travel. I mean, just being able to go and refuel uh, different, uh, in different countries, um, seeing different cultures, um, you know, getting out there. Uh, I think that's, that's the, one of the best part about our job is that we get to travel and you get to travel for a couple of days and then you get to come home. So it's kind of like for a DSG, you have your full-time job and you come out here, this is your part-time job. But for most of them, they kind of look at it as, oh, okay, this is my my getaway from my real world, you know, sure. adventures in life. And uh, I can go do my military job and go and go to Germany for a week, you know, and refuel or do a cargo haul or whatever the mission is that we may have. And then, you know, you're going to Germany for a week per se, and then you come back and you go to a regular job. So it's just a little bit different. So I love the traveling aspect of it um, and just seeing the different countries, different cultures. Uh, I, I just love it. It's, it's, it's a good job. I think it's the best enlisted job in the military, being a, uh, what we call a CEA, a CEA, a career enlisted aviator. Yeah, that would uh, that would be it's pretty close to public affairs, I would say. <laughs> it sounds like it's neck and neck. <laughs> the only thing that would be better is, yeah, being able to go to Germany uh, a lot because my tattoo artist uh, is in, uh, well, he's in Frankfurt, and uh, he's got a, t- uh, a shop in Kaiserslautern. Okay. I could get Kaiserslautern. more, ta- yeah. I could get more, I could get more yeah. tattoos. Kaiserslautern, right there by Ramstein. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, I yep. know, yeah. Yep. yeah I was uh, over, I was full-time in, uh, in Germany, in oh, okay. Frankfurt and Mannheim, okay. back when I was at uh, AFN. Oh, you're very familiar with it then. Oh, yeah. Okay. Love that place. I wish I could. I almost wish I could have just stayed there and lived there. And, uh, but I got family here and kind of missed them. You know gotcha. What I mean? Yeah. Gotcha. Um, you had talked about, um, let's talk about mentorship. What, what, what's okay. your, what, how do you try to uh, mentor your, uh, your, your airmen? Uh, Okay, so uh, that's a good question. So mentorship. So I'm, I'm huge on mentoring and um, just trying to get people to reach their full potential. You know, I, I, I want them to aspire to be what they feel like they can, you know, what they can be to the best of their potential. And then if I see different aspects of them as a leader or different characteristics and personalities, uh, traits, um, then I will try to capitalize on that as well, as well for the benefit of the military. So mentorship for me is, you know, I, I bring my troops in. We talk about, hey, where do you want to be uh, and how we're going to get there? And these are the steps I need you to, to take. And these are the things that I need you to do. So basically just laying the the table out for them to be able to understand how do you get from A to Z? Because when I was a young private, I used to be in the army. Uh, um, so I switched over to the air force later on. Uh, so, I saw the air right. of my ways too. Sir. <laughs> right. So once I got off, uh, active duty army, um, I just felt like, you know, when I was a young private, then nobody really told me how to, if I just decided to stay enlisted to go from being a 
private to a command sergeant major. Sure. You know what I'm saying? From E1 to E9. So nobody told me how to do that and the steps all in between. So as these young airmen come in, you know, um, and we have what we call a career training plan uh, mm-hmm. that we go by. But um, but I try to get them in. I try to see, you know, what where their mindset is, what their goals and aspirations are, uh, and where they want to be in life. And, and I aspire, I tell everybody to aspire to be a chief or actually I push them to get their civilian education because I'm like, if you're going to do this, you might as well be in it. You might as well get commissioned. You know, so I push a lot of, uh, especially the uh, boom operators, um, I push them to get their civilian education and I say, hey, once you do this and you, you're going to be a boom operator for a couple of years, so you're going to understand all of the flying aspects, you know, cross over to be a pilot, you know, be an officer. You know, if you're going to get paid to do this, you might as well, you know, be an officer, get paid really good. <laughs> right. <laughs> What's your uh, your view on uh, minorities in leadership positions uh, throughout the military? For me personally, um, diversity brings about a different mindset. You know, um, to support the to whatever the commanders want to support the, the mission. Uh, so having minorities, not when I say minorities, I don't just mean African Americans. I'm talking about you know females as well. Uh, it just brings a different mindset, and when you bring different mindsets and different uh, skill sets and different thought processes and different cultures uh, and, and, and present a different point of view to a commander uh, or a leader, mm-hmm. uh, and then they can kind of get a holistic viewpoint of, of how they can organize and how we can, you know, best support the mission, you know, because, you know, sometimes five plus five doesn't always, I mean, it always equals 10, but you can say seven plus three also equals 10 or six plus four also equals 10. So we can get to the same place, but, if I can bring a different perspective, then we might be able to get there a little bit better, a little bit faster, a little bit more efficient, you know. So, so that's, that's, that's my thing in diversity. And having leadership, having minorities in leadership positions, it just brings about a different perspective because at the end of the day, um, we're all here to serve. Right. And, uh, and we're all brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. at least in my point of view we are. Uh, and it's about what's the best way to get the mission done and, if that means bringing someone, you know, having somebody from a different culture in a leadership position to bring a different perspective, then, you know, hey, more power to the military. Right. Did you have, I know, I mean, you all, you had mentors, obviously. Sure. Mm-hmm. Where, I mean, were there, did you seek out uh, maybe African-Americans mm-hmm. as mentors or did, did it not matter? No, to me, it didn't matter uh, okay. because one of my best mentors um he lives in Florida right now. He's a retired boom operator. So we actually still talk to this day pretty frequently. And, uh, and I still reach out to him, you know, uh, you know, whenever I have issues or questions, you know, I'll, I'll reach out to him, you know, as well as other chiefs, but he's my primary go-to. And, uh, so to me, it, it didn't matter as far as like color. Um, now would I like to see people, uh, of color and more, um, uh, as, as flyers, especially as officers, you know, or enlisted flyers, sure, I would. Um, but there are challenges with that at times. So although it sounds good, it's not always as easy as it sounds. Right. You know, and, 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 there, and, there, are, and there are different reasons for that. You know, a lot, a lot of it is from, you know, lack of uh, awareness, you know, um, depending on how you grew up, you know, things you were exposed to. So and some people have an aversion the military they don't they don't want anything to do with the military so you know so it's kind of hard to get people to understand that it's, it's not as like you think it is you know it's a brotherhood or a sisterhood you know it's, it's you know we are it's all we're all in the same uniform we're all here to serve the same purpose 
Yeah, I've had you know. uh, people yeah ask me, well, how is it? You know, if I'm this way or that way, mm-hmm. if I'm joining the military, it's a you know, it's it's we take care of each other. Right. It's we look out after yes, each sir. other. Absolutely. At the Absolutely. end of the day, it's the uniform you're wearing. Right. Because I'll do the same thing for you as I'll do for someone in color in a uniform. Right. The exact exactly. same thing. So if I lay down for him, I'm going to lay down for you, too, and die. So that's just that's just my mindset. Right. Uh, you mentioned you were in the Army. What would you do in the Army? Yeah, so I was Airborne Infantry in the Army. Woo! So I did uh, four years Airborne Infantry, two years supply. So uh, I did my first duty station was um, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, 101st Airborne. Oh, nice. Yep, so I did two years there. Air Assault? Um, air Assault, correct. Yep, oh, Air Assault. Man. So I learned to repel a lot of helicopters, do combat loads on, you know, uh, uh, Hueys and Chinooks, you know, uh, and uh, Blackhawks, you know, doing all of those, those great things, air assault, uh, all things air assault. Uh, from there, I went to uh, to the DMZ, Korea. Oh yeah, I was up. Uh, I was up there for a year, um, and then from Korea, I think I was in Korea from '92 to '93, and then from '93 to '94, I was stationed at Fort Bragg in North Carolina, 82nd Airborne. Yeah. I don't know. How I was you, I was high strong. You man. were you man. were high speed, low drag. Yeah, I was I was when I was younger, man. I just had a lot of energy, you know, just a lot of motivation, uh, and uh, you know, and I was an athlete, so you know, doing twenty mile road marches at two o'clock in the morning with a you know seventy pound rucksack, it, it didn't phase me because you know, <laughs> I, I mean. It just didn't phase me, you know. So, I mean, you're young. You don't know any better, oh. man. You don't know that eventually over the course of time, that stuff's going to wear on your body. You don't think about that stuff when you're young. You just go do it. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Oh, you yeah. in the Army. Oh, I was yeah. in the Army. I was uh, artillery. I okay, joined, field I, artillery? Yeah, I was. Yeah. Yeah, but I wasn't towed. I was self-propelled. Okay. So, I was okay. on the one. I, we, yeah. They were like, "You want to go? Uh, you want to go airborne?" I was like, "Nope, yeah. that does not sound like fun, and I don't want to jump with those guns." I don't blame you. You know, uh, I was an adrenaline junkie too, so you know, jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. You know, a lot of my family members ask me, "What in the heck is wrong with you?" I'm like, "Hey, you know, it's just just something that I wanted to do." So yeah, so I I, I jumped at Fort Bragg for about a year. Uh, you know, and and that was a different experience too. I saw uh, um, a lot of injuries behind it, but oh, it, sure. you know, but when you're like. You know, 5,000 feet up in the sky, man. It's just so quiet. Is it really? It's so quiet. Yeah, it's so quiet, man. And, uh, but, um, but yeah, but the PLFs, the parachute landing falls, um, that, that's, that can be a little tricky if you got wind involved in that, you know, when sure. you, before you land. You, I saw a lot of people get hurt. I saw a lot of broke legs, a lot of uh, twisted, sprung ankles, oh, yeah, knees, yeah. That must have helped you join, uh, become a boomer then, knowing all that, you know, falling and all that stuff. Well, not necessarily. You're talking about the, uh, the airplane, uh, jumping out of airplane? Jumping out of airplane. Eh, not, not really. Not really? No, as a boom operator, uh, well, part of that was, so I was a firefighter too uh, oh. uh, in uh, Mississippi. Okay. So when I started out down at the 186th Area Fueling Wing. So I was a firefighter for the city of Meridian for three years, and I was a firefighter on NAS Naval Air Station Meridian, you know, in the DOD system right. for uh, two years. And uh, But while I was doing all of that, I ran into one of my, my one of my fellow firefighters who explained to me what a boom operator was and what we did, and he was talking about how it was this cool job, and, and you know, you get to travel the world, do air refueling, see different places. I'm like, oh, man, this sounds interesting. So um, I was already in the... Army Reserves at that time, but then oh. I switched over from Army Reserves to, to the Guard, uh, which was a process all in itself. <laughs> but I, but by the time that all happened, so I, you know, it, it took a little while. It took about six months. But once it was done, then I was in the clinic at the foreign initially, um, 
And then one of my friends, again, who was a firefighter, he was explaining to me about being a boom operator. So I went over and talked to the chief boom, and I was like, hey, well, what's, what's this thing I hear about being a boom operator? You know, he kind of explained everything to me. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that sounds like something I might be interested in. And that same guy that I talked to that day is the same guy that I'm very good friends with and my mentor to this day. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I see that you have jump wings? Correct. Those, your, yep. those yep. are your jump wings? Yep. And you got to wear those? I have oh. That's nice. I have jump wings and aerosol wings. Yep. They wanted me to go to ranger school. They wanted me to go to pathfinder school. And I'm oh. like, look, I'm getting out of the military. You know, I'm getting out of, at least out of the army. You know, Right. Because, I know yeah. that. Yeah. Because I'm they just get, like, yeah. They try to keep me in at field artillery. My, uh, yeah. I had uh, my smoke, which is an E7 mm-hmm. uh, chief of smoke is what they call them. He's gotcha. Charge of the gun battery, or the NCOIC of the okay. gun batteries, basically, mm-hmm. or the platoon. He followed me into the shower one day. I'm like, Chief, I'm trying to go take a shower. You need to go to PLDC. You need to go to PLDC right, now. Right. I was like, Chief, I'm getting out. Right. The artillery was fun, but I, I'm good. Yep, so you understand my pain. Yep. Yeah. You, 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 yeah. You get it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, nah, I think I've had enough. That's gotta, if, if, if I'm going to stay, and I always said, though, when I was in the Army, if I was ever going to continue an active duty career in the military, it would have to be Air Force. Yeah, you that's, know? oh, yeah. And, and I found an opportunity to do that. Um and I took advantage of it, and here I am. You know, um, right. when I came up here, I came to this unit uh, in November of 2001. So um, I left the 186 and came up here to the 126 as a you know fully qualified boom operator for family reasons. Is basically why I transferred. But um, but yeah, um, I came up and I've been doing this boomer thing now for about 20 years since '99. So 21, 20, 22 years. Wow, it'll be 22 years in March. That's yeah, awesome. I've been doing the boomer thing. Yeah. That's awesome. So, it, I mean, your well, at least your airborne infantry all, all experience had to help you with these SEER schools and stuff, right? <laughs> it though? did. It yeah. actually did. Yeah, it was like I'm like, this is a joke. I'm like, really? I'm like, really? I'm like, yeah. So, yeah, coming uh, from infantry, yeah, you, you get it, yeah. So, just it's just a different world going from learning how to train to basically kill people to air refueling plane, uh, refueling planes in the, in the air. So it's just you know it's a different mindset. So. How'd you come um, to join the 108s? So um, when I was at the 186 Air Refueling Wing, uh, as a, well, civilian-wise as a firefighter, but I was also a boom operator uh, within the wing there. Um, my son, I had a son that had special needs. Oh, okay. So we had to get to a, a, a city that had better medical facilities, and we knew Children's Hospital was up here. And plus, my mom lived up here in St. Louis anyway. So, and I kind of went to school up here a little bit on and off uh, from here to Mississippi, back and forth. You know. Where'd you go to school at? I went to, up here, it was Hazelwood West. Okay. Yeah. I, my uncle teaches, uh, no, he's at, I don't know, one of the Hazelwood Middle Schools. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> Hazelwood Middle School. Okay, yeah. So, Hazelwood's, oh, it's, it's, it's a pretty decent school system. Oh, yeah. So, um, so I uh, ended up coming up here, you know, transferring from Meridian to here because at that time, my current wife, at that time, we... Um, we had a special needs child, so I had to get to a place that had a better medical facility than what we were living at at the time. And uh, so my chief boom there, uh, Eddie Michael, at the 186 Area Fueling Wing, he called up here and talked to uh, Chief Garros, you know, at the time, who was at the chief of the 108th Area Fueling Squadron. Uh, and they, they kind of talked, and, he, you know, he's like, hey, I got a guy that's got special, you know, circumstances and, you know, good guy, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and so he made a phone call for me, and, you know, I came up, and I talked to Chief Garros, and we sat down, and, you know, and he kind of got a feel for me, and he's like, okay, you know, we'll, 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 we'll get you transferred. And uh, 
And I came up here, and, you know, and I talked to Chief Garrison, and I told him, I said, look, I said, with me, you won't ever have to worry about anything, man. I said, I'm, I'm here to serve, do what I got to do, support the unit. And, uh, and actually, I went from being a DSG in Meridian to a full-time AGR up here. Man, that's nice. Yeah, so, um, so that's kind of how that all transpired. And, uh, you know, when I came here and I talked to Chief Garrels, and I was like, hey, you know, uh, I want to be uh, the chief boom operator one day. And he said, okay. He said, well, this is what I need you to do. And, uh, and I did it. You know, I went to school at night. Um, I got all of my PME done in a, a manner of uh, pretty much whenever I was eligible for it, I had it knocked out. Uh, I went to the NCO Academy in residence uh, at McGee Tyson. Uh, for about six weeks, and then once I made master, I enrolled in the senior PME, and I knocked that out within a matter of probably two or three weeks because I was doing night school at the time. So a lot of my courses corresponded with well, the military had its own spin on stuff, but a lot of it was kind of like the same communications, management, right. human resources type stuff. Uh, so I knocked all of that out real quick, and I, and I because what I did was. I was proactive because I knew what I wanted. Mm -hmm. So I was aggressive with my civilian education. I was aggressive. I was aggressive with my military education and I put myself in place. So just in case when that opportunity did come up, I'm going to be ready, you know, so and versus waiting to the opportunity come up and then trying to react and trying to get all the stuff done. I've had it done like 10 years prior. What's your mm -hmm. civilian education in? So uh, uh, business management. Okay. That's got to help you kind of judge. Juggle Correct. everything that you guys do down, yep. down there. Yep, uh, there's a lot of human uh, HR uh, aspects to it, which is kind of what, you know, I'm kind of doing now, you know, um, recruiting, you know, retention, hiring, uh, training. So those are all kind of, uh, you know, uh, aspects of HR. And I, that was kind of my area, of my niche, my area of sure. expertise, you know, um, when I was getting my civilian education. So, yes, it, do, it does help. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to have it, but it's definitely a plus if you already understand stuff. So, right. um, you know, in communication, you know, that was one of my other niches, you know. And so when I did communications in, um, in, um, at the NCO Academy, you know, it was just, it was, it was easier for me to, to understand it. So, yeah. Um, what, what, do you, what would you say to uh, folks that are thinking about, getting into the Air National Guard? What, what advice would you have for those folks? Well, it's definitely a good uh, resource to have for finances. It's definitely a good resource to have for a support system. Um, if you're patriotic and you want to serve your country, absolutely come in. Um, it's a good tool to use if you want to go to school because they'll pay for your schooling. Right. Uh, after, I think it's a year you have to be in. So you got the, uh, the GI, the, well, you have the GI Bill too, but uh, but the state, the state of Illinois pays for your school education you know after i think the first year if i believe if that's still correct so uh it's an avenue to pay for your schooling uh and then just to meet a, a, a dynamic group of people that you can build lifelong relationships with you know people it's, it's more of a family environment um so um a family culture so that's the one thing that i like about the guard you know versus active duty um you know active duty the two cultures are different. So, you know, we're right. here, we're, we're missing first and you take care of family, you know, take care of each other, uh, you know, versus active duty. When I was there, it's more so about, you know, career progression and, you know, you're going on to the next thing and to the next thing and to the next thing yeah. here, you're here, you know, you, you might be here for 20, 30 years, you know, where's active duty, you know, you're hopping around from place to place to place to place. You know, you may, you may meet people and build connections, but when you're at the same place for, 30 years, you know, you, you build those connections for, you know, a lifetime. Right. You know? I, yeah. It's, it's, 
it's like a dream come true to be able yeah. to to serve at home. Absolutely, it feels and great. you're at home. Yes, absolutely. And, and the traveling aspect of it, seeing the world, seeing the different cultures, uh, it's it's just it's awesome. I love it. Yeah, it's a, I think it's the best of both worlds. It really yep, is. It uh, is being from uh, being a full time yep. to this. What do you say to the people that? I don't know why a boomer would want to get out, but maybe a boomer wants to get out. And there, what, what do you say to them to, 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 hey, stay in. This is a beautiful job. Well, uh, I, it's funny you say that because I actually deal with that a lot. Uh, well, not should say a lot. I've had a few occasions where, or, or upcoming occasions where I'm going to deal with those. You know, it's, it's kind of, you know, depending on what people's personal motivations are and goals are, some people... You know, they come in and they serve and they want to use the military for school purposes and they want just want to get out, you know. And some people come in and they just they want to serve and they want to stay. So for those people who have their own personal aspirations in the civilian sector, you know, they, they might want to, you know, stay here, get their education and transfer to New York. But they may not want to necessarily be tied to the military. So, you know, I, I, I try to give good reasons for people to stay in the military. Um, but it's you know it just all depend it's all dependent on you know what their own personal motivations are and you know and what they right. got going on in their personal you know in their in their civilian life so um i try to encourage them to stay in because especially for those who've hit like a 10 year point cuz i'm like hey you know you're you're kind of a lifer now it's like you you're going to you only have 10 more years to go before you can get a full pension at 60 years old for the rest of your life, depending on, you know, when right. you retire, you know, medical benefits. I said, because I say it's not right now is what you're thinking about. You want to think about when you're 60 years old and beyond, if we're all blessed to live that long, because once those medical benefits kick in, you know, when you're older, that's, that's a premium, you know, having good medical coverage, yeah. you know, and then you're having at least uh, somewhat of a decent retirement coming in when you, when you hit 60 for serving for 20 years or 20 plus years, you know, however long you decide, you know, and, uh, you want to serve. So it's, I try to get them to look at it from the aspect of it's not right, especially for the ones who've been in, like I say, between eight to 10 years and above. It's like, it's not about right now. You want to think about later on down the line. So do you really want to give up, you know, eight years or you're 10 years from getting a pension once you turn 60 for the rest of your life, you know, I say, you know, those are things you want to think about, you know. So I try to use that as a psychological advantage to, to get uh, for recruiting. Sure. Yeah. Uh, what are your, so you, you, you met your goal, you became uh, Chief See? Boom. Mm -hmm. What's your, what's next? Well, next for me is to make sure that the people who are under me aspire to be the same as me, at least put them in a position to, to what, what's the phrase you say? You shoot for the stars and if you miss, at least you'll be amongst the moon or something so, like that. Yeah. Something like that, a shoot for the moon. So, um, so my job now is to make sure that I put people, people who are uh, of good quality and leadership standards uh, and people who are going to benefit the unit. Um, I try to look at for those potentials and I try to find people and put them in different leadership positions uh, and try to capitalize on their potential uh, to, to aspire to be where they want to be. So now that that's, that's basically my goal other than, you know, I still have to meet my qualifications for being, you know, air crew, but uh, mentorship is really, really, really big for me. So um, I try to aspire to get the best out of people and to get them to achieve, achieve their own, uh, military uh, professional goals. So that's that's kind of my mindset now. Right. I think you are taking care of the troops, man. I got to take care of the troops. How do you go about getting the best out of people? 
Because, you know, some of these guys don't think they're the best or don't right. see themselves right. as the best. So how do you you see that in them and right. go, look, you you have it. Right. right. You just need to. You have that potential. So you have to push them. You have to give them. You have to create opportunities for them to be in leadership positions. And you have to see how they're going to respond to those particular situations. Um, you have to push them to do to get their civilian education. You have to push them to um, to. Uh, of course, your military education, your right. PME, you have to do all of that stuff. Uh, but when I see leadership qualities in people, it's just that that it factor that you can kind of see in people, right. you know, that you can't really explain, but you just know it's there. So when you identify with, with people like that uh, or a quality in a person like that, those are the people that you want to be in key leadership positions, people who can think outside the box, you right. know, people that you don't have to stand over and give direction to, you know, people who are competent, you know, uh, uh, can can derive at different uh, conclusions based off of, you know, foresight. Right. You know? Uh, so those are the type of people and those are the qualities that I look for in people. Uh, you you mentioned the officers. How mm -hmm. how what's your how do you see your role when you're dealing with the younger officers? So for the lieutenants, captains ish types. Um, um, for me, part of my job is to try to mentor those guys and get to get them to understand how they if they've never been enlisted, right? Uh, you know, just to kind of get them to understand, you know, how the enlisted structure works and mm -hmm. uh, and and um, and whatever else I can mentor them on, you know, because they're real young and impressionable at that age. So building those good relationships with them to especially understanding things from the enlisted's perspective. And as they go forward in their careers, you know, they can become better leaders and they can understand both. They can understand things from both perspectives, from an enlisted's perspective and from an officer's perspective. Uh, Chief Latimer has been our guest chief. We have, uh, you have that board. When is, when is the, uh, the deadline to get our paperwork in for the board? I believe that's February the 17th uh, of this month. And then you're going to have the board that weekend. Yeah. February the 20th, starting at nine o'clock. Correct. All right. Yeah. Uh, thanks again to uh, the 108th Air Refueling Squadron in-flight refueling program manager, Chief Master Sergeant Ari Latimer. Uh, the Chief Boom, thank you, sir, for yes, coming sir. in. Absolutely. You're welcome. Anytime. Love that interview with uh, Chief Latimer. You never know what you're going to find out about somebody until you just sit down and talk with them. It's just amazing. Uh, an airborne, uh, basically not an airborne ranger, but airborne infantry from a boomer. That's uh, just amazing. It's amazing what our military careers uh, can uh, take us through. With your look around the Air Force, I'm Staff Sergeant Britt Crowley. The newly established Office of Diversity and Inclusion is looking at the strategic impact of equity for airmen, guardians, and their families. The office evolved from the Department of the Air Force's Task Force on Diversity and Inclusion and is charged with identifying and changing policies and procedures that could unfairly affect underrepresented members of the Air and Space Forces. In a recent video for Black History Month, the 502nd Air Base Wing's Command Chief Master Sergeant Wendell Snyder talked about the challenges the Air Force has in its work toward diversity and inclusion. The Air Force has more work to do. We have more work to do to get after racial disparity in force. It's important to say it. I think it's important to, to call it like it is. And then our leaders at the highest level are gonna do their part, but truly it's gonna take everybody. The time is now, I don't think we can miss this opportunity to look at the processes that we have in place and find ways to continue to improve.
The emphasis on diversity and inclusion has already brought about a review of unit emblems and mottos, as well as tracking administrative discipline data. Ten airman leadership qualities are being added to the officer and senior enlisted performance evaluations. They'll be used as a feedback tool in addition to the airman comprehensive assessment and will serve as a guide for raiders and raidees. The ten qualities focus on character and competence and fall into four performance areas. Executing the mission, leading people, managing resources, and improving the unit. Force-shaping actions, made necessary by record retention levels, stand to benefit transitioning active-duty airmen as well as the Air Force Reserve and Air National Guard. The expansion of Palace Chase, along with some limited active-duty service commitment waivers, could help the Air Force Reserve and Air National Guard by getting fully qualified airmen to fill their ranks. And that's your look around the Air Force. Commander of the Air Mobility Command, General Jacqueline Van Ovost, gave an update on the KC-46, noting that deficiencies are being addressed. The AMC commander said she is heartened by some of the steps that have been uh, taken now, and she says we're getting better at it within the deficiencies themselves. She noted that uh, getting more KC-46s operational is about aircrew training, maintenance crew training, logistics support training, and equipment. She said, for right now, she said, uh, I don't need to be in a hurry to take them at a faster rate than about two a month. She went on to say that when fully developed and capable, the plane will give us a lot of advantages over our current legacy fleet. She went on to uh, point out that the planes can do multiple missions and provide battle space awareness. As of Friday, February 5th, more than 37,000 vaccinations have been administered to National Guard troops with roughly 4,000 receiving both phases of the vaccine. Deployed Guardsmen are prioritized to receive vaccines at their deployment location. Major General Jerry Fenwick, he's the National Guard Bureau Joint Surgeon Director, said regarding infection rates in the Guard we're about 2%, which is lower than the 9.3% national average. Guard members deployed to uh, Washington, D.C., who uh, fall ill or monitor at their hotels with the option to move to a hospital in the event that symptoms worsen. You can find all of our links on our webpage and Facebook at linktr.ee forward slash 126ARW. If you're watching on Facebook, you can watch this on your favorite podcast app. Also, if your friends don't have Facebook, you can all right. You can tell them, hey, watch it on uh, on your favorite podcast app or YouTube. If you want to pass along some information, you can drop a an email to roll call at 126.arw.pa.mm.org at us.af.mil. Thanks for listening to Roll Call, a 126th Air Refueling Wing podcast focused on people, mission, and community. I'm Tech Sergeant Brian Ellison.